to talk about State of the Jays, John Gibbons, what's going on there, and we ask that every day, considering the story seems to change just about every day. We're joined now by our friend Rich Griffin from the Toronto Star. Good morning, Griff. Hey, Steve. Um, where do you stand on, on John Griffin, uh, John Gibbons and his future and the story going around yesterday, if it was a story at all, about his managerial future? Well, the danger of paying attention to stories about anything to do with the Blue Jays is that half of the media covering is paid for by the same people. So it, it makes it very difficult to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff in this case. But uh, my my stance on it, I, I spoke to, uh, I had dinner with uh, GM Ross Atkins at spring training, and we had a debate about whether... Uh, John Gibbons was one of the top 10 managers in Major League Baseball among 30 teams. And coincidentally, he was saying yes, and I was saying no. He was saying he was among the top 10. So if they fired him now, it would be a, a scapegoat situation. And I see no reason for them to make such a move until the end of the season. And you pointed out, end of the season, I think everybody's on board with, with uh, that they're willing to eat his 2019 salary, and I think it would be better for everyone involved. But to bring someone in for the last month and a half seems to make no sense to me. The strange thing about this season and Gibby is I think in some ways he's had to manage better and he's had to manage harder because the roster has been so much in flux, the pitching staff is such a mess that he's had to do things that, frankly, major league managers don't normally have to do. And I think it's actually shown a side of him maybe I didn't see before. Well, you're right, because uh, we sat in his office last night and uh, I asked the question about is this a tougher manage than 2015-2016 when he went to the playoffs. And, I mean, we anticipated his answer, and yes, it is. And, and then... Immediately after that, the game uh, came along. His starting pitcher was cruising seven innings, uh, 92 pitches. Marcus Stroman uh, looks at his finger, has to come out of the game with a blister. Then he puts in uh, his setup man, who has been the setup man, um, but was forced to try and close when Osuna was gone. Now they've got Ken Giles to close, and neither one could put the game away. So Gibbons pushed all the right buttons. And the result was uh, a ridiculous 10-7, to 10-inning loss to the Red Sox. And, and this has happened, I mean, I've been watching this all season. And this has happened so often, it, it's, it makes you smile. It's, it's almost ludicrous. Well, I, I loved one of the lines he used in, in his pregame uh, sit-down with us when he was talking about, you know, you can make the right move as a manager and it comes back and blows up in your face, as he did last night. And you can make the wrong move some nights, and it, and it works for you. You know, Ryan Tapera gets tossed last night. This comes after um, Marcus Stroman injures. This is, this is the beauty of last night. He injures his middle finger. Like, who better to give the middle finger to, to Blue Jay Nation than Marcus Stroman? You know, him of the effing terrible team thing. Uh, and then, and then the new closer comes out, and bang, home run, bang, home run. You know, he keeps doing that. He's going to be punching himself in the face an awful lot. Yeah, I, I stuck my head in uh, Gibby's office after, as we were walking out of the clubhouse. I said, Gibby, you know, you've had more middle finger issues than CNN at a Trump rally, and he laughed because, <laughs> because you know, he's a noted Trump guy and or pretends to be. But yeah, it, it's 
you know, there's not much he can do. Uh, replacing him at this time with uh, someone like DeMarlo Hale makes no sense. I think what they should do, and this is just my opinion, I think a guy like John Schneider is an up-and-comer. He's been in the organization. He's at AA New Hampshire where all their stud players have come through, where where Vlad started this season, where where Bichette and those guys and Biggio are. And he's a, he's a Blue Jays guy. He's coached every one of these players that are going to be coming up for 2019. They have a chance in September to bring a guy like that up once the double-A season finishes, have him see what it's all about at this level, and then maybe make that move at the end of the season. But to do it now is ridiculous. So my old friend, our old friend, Michael Farber, has been advocating for a number of years that the Blue Jays need an Hispanic manager, or certainly someone who speaks fluent Spanish because of the influx and the number of Spanish players that they have and are going to have. Um, you were with Felipe Alou in, in Montreal. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's funny because I, I had asked Alex Anthopoulos when he was here and, and, and the clubhouse was dominated by guys like uh, Yunel Escobar and Batista and Edwin Encarnacion. And, and it was before he hired John Gibbons in 2013. And I said, do you need to hire a Spanish-speaking manager? And you know, I thought the answer would be, yeah, we're going to investigate, we're going to check it out. And his answer was, no, I need to hire someone who can manage a ball game and win some games. It doesn't matter whether he speaks fluent Spanish or not. And I found that interesting because Anthopoulos, to me, seems like a very open-minded GM who would be progressive and move forward in that area. So I believe, you know, I worked with Felipe, like you pointed out, and uh, he handled that situation. The Jays have always had um, uh, one coach, at least, who's Spanish-speaking. And I think that the guy at the top, the manager, does not need that ability. But he does need the ability to push all the right buttons and make the right moves and, and engender some confidence from that clubhouse. So play GM or president for a minute. Look at the roster that's here right now. Tell me who you go forward with or who you like that you can build with because you have to rebuild this thing. It's not going to stay the way it is uh, going forward. Well, I would uh, start going forward with uh, Russ Martin and Troy Tulowitzki uh, because they're making $20 million and nobody, can, nobody will take those contracts. And, and you're paying, you'd have to pay the, at least half of them, maybe all of it, to get rid of them. But... Uh, moving forward, I could go with Danny Jansen and Luke Maley behind the plate. I think Justin Smoke, with the contract that he has, has a role because he saved uh, slugs like uh, Solarte and those guys a dozen errors maybe at first base. And he's got a reasonable contract moving forward. Um, second base, shortstop, third base, I could replace all those guys, and I would look to. Uh, even Devin Travis, a wonderful man, wonderful human being, but not the type of guy that moving forward you want to see there every day. Part of it is the injury problem. Uh, Randall Grichuk I would hang on to. Kevin Pillar, not so much. Um, and uh, Teoscar, I would, you could do something with him, even if he had to DH or something because he's not a very good outfielder. But there's not that many. There's not that many out there. Um, I would... What I would do is take uh, young pitchers, young starting pitchers next season, find out which ones can do it 
can do it at the major league level. And then 2020, I don't think they can wait beyond 2020 to try and sell that they're competing again to the fan base. 2020, fill in the holes surrounding the guys that showed they can do it and then move forward from there. Because I looked at the beginning of the season and not trying to be wearing rose-colored glasses, which is something I'm not exactly known for. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, I really liked their starting rotation. I thought they had an upper and major league starting rotation. And that's before Aaron Sanchez disappeared into Florida and before Stroman has been up and down and Hap is now gone and Marco Estrada will be gone at the end of the year. And uh, and I thought that uh, the left-hander would give them some innings. And so what happens is, you know, basically not one guy other than Hap did what they were supposed to do. And now it looks like, boy, where do you go from here? Well, I think what, what fans should look at, and I agree with you, I remember at spring training this year sitting around with four or five other media guys and we're going over the rotations in the American League and seeing where the Jays rotation, five-man rotation after Jaime Garcia was signed, where that ranked. And everybody had top five. And how'd that work out? You know, how, how smart is that group that I was sitting around with? And I was one of them who said, yeah. But the thing about it is that when they did sign Jaime Garcia to a $10 million contract in late February, and they had hung on to Josh Donaldson for the final year of his contract, I think that that should have been an indicator to fans that, yeah, they wanted to compete. I mean, they were outsiders, uh, but they wanted to contend at least for a wild card in 2018, and that did not work out at all. Well, they believed, I was told this, they believed this was an 85-87 to win team to start this season. And if they get a little good in one direction... Maybe it goes to 90. If they get a little bad in the other direction, it goes to 80. And that's before, you know, Donaldson has all his problems and Sanchez has all his problems and Stroman has all his problems and Tulo doesn't play. And you can run through all the, all the reasons why. The two guys that fascinate me in a way, because I still don't know what they are or what they're going to be, and there comes a point where at this age you should know who, what they are and what they're going to be, is we don't know what... Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman are. Are they top of the rotation pitchers? Are they middle of the rotation? You know, does, does Sanchez have to go back to the bullpen? I, I don't know what the answer to that is. Yeah, and uh, I mean, they haven't been healthy together for a full season, and I'm fascinated to see if that does happen next season. First, we've got to see Sanchez come back and do his two or three rehab starts and then come back in September and put together a good month without any finger issues. Stroman is so mercurial you don't know i mean he's battling the perception that that right hand short right-handers have trouble being top of the rotation pitchers and and that for some reason is a a sort of a belief a, a core belief of baseball guys for the last hundred years so can those two guys anchor the top of a rotation they're going to have to in 2019 and then fill in with some of the younger guys. I mean, you, you see Ryan Barucki, and I think Sean Reed Foley is a guy they're just waiting to start his clock on. And if he comes up in September, maybe he'll have a chance to show something. They might need to fill in with short-term contracts with veteran guys, and there's plenty of those every winter. To, to, and then roll the dice, see if these guys can stay healthy, see if, as you're asking, uh, Sanchez and Stroman are true top three pitchers in any rotation, in a, in a good rotation, and go from there. 
Would you trade Strowman or investigate his value? And, or, and, and, and extending that, what do you think his value would be in the trade market? Well, I'd definitely uh, explore his value, but I wouldn't be looking to trade him because you haven't seen, uh, hopefully, the best out of him that you're going to. And, and, and if you wait that he's, you know, he's under control for two more seasons, if you wait and get something better out of him for the Toronto Blue Jays, then that gets his value up there. And maybe, maybe next trade deadline, uh, if you're of that mindset and somebody's giving you something really good, maybe you do it then, but I wouldn't do it this winter. I would listen. That's all I would do is listen. And I wouldn't push the idea that we want to trade Marcus Stroman if I was Ross Atkins. Last question before letting you go. What do you do with Josh Donaldson? Well, at spring training, like I said, they were, uh, they were um, looking to contend with Josh Donaldson, having a huge year in a free agent season where he wanted to put up big numbers. That moment has gone. That moment has passed. And when they couldn't trade him at the trade deadline, uh, they got to wait until he's on uh, rehab assignment before they can even put him through trade waivers. And if he clears trade waivers, I think by the end of August – he'd be gone in a trade. If he doesn't clear trade waivers and they have to pull him back, um, I think they'll make him a qualifying offer reluctantly, and I think he won't take it because he's got too much pride and this is his big payday. But the big payday won't come if he doesn't play this year. And if he does take it at $18 million, uh, then they just find a place for him to play. But if they tell him you're going to have to be uh, a first baseman or a DH because we've got Vlad coming up and we want to keep smoke, that, that would preclude him from also considering the qualifying offer seriously. Yeah, that, that's the fascinating thing here. That their number one prospect, the number one prospect in all of baseball is a third baseman. Their number one player, when everything healthy, is a third baseman. And aside from that, they have next to nothing. So that's the way it goes. Rich, thanks so much for this. Uh, enjoy game two tonight, Red Sox and the Blue Jays at the Rogers Center. And I hope... The rain has stopped and the flooding has stopped by then. I'm bringing my snorkel. All right. Thanks, Rich. All right. That's Rich Griffin of the Toronto Star.